Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Pit, the podcast about podcasts, and I'm your host, George Grimwood. Tom Sharpling is the host of The Best Show, formerly The Best Show on WFMU, a weekly show of three hours of mirth, music and mayhem. As well as being a show in which members of the public call in and talk with Tom about a particular chosen topic of the week, there's the occasional call from John Worcester, Tom's comedy partner, playing the role of one of many characters from the fictional suburb of Newbridge, New Jersey. Since the year 2000, the show has developed a loyal fan base, ever-increasing, and with the show available to listen to live on Tuesday nights from 9pm till midnight Eastern Time, downloadable as a podcast, and the Best Show Gems podcast offering hand-picked phone calls for first-time listeners to investigate, there's plenty of Best Show for you to become a devoted fan too. Tom and I spoke in April 2016 via Skype to discuss podcasts, comedy, television and more. How would you describe the best show to someone who hadn't heard it before? I don't know. It's hard. It's 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 kind of simple and complicated at the same time. Maybe it's it's a. I guess the simple version is that it's a call-in show. It used to be a radio show on WFMU, and uh, after about thirteen years, uh, we we ended the show on WFMU, and then now it's a, a standalone show at uh the best show.net so it's kind of its own thing and it airs live on the internet on tuesday nights and then um and then it goes up as a podcast the next day so people can listen live like a radio show and then uh, or listen to it as a podcast just like any other podcast i know you've said before because it has the live element when if you're listening to it when it's out that it doesn't feel that it it's a podcast it's definitely more of a radio show do you still feel that way and and if so what's the what how do you feel what the relationship is between radio and podcasting i i still i I still do feel that way because it is a live thing and and there really aren't podcasts i mean the the i mean i'm sure there's exceptions to it but the vast majority of podcasts are all pre-recorded and i think it just creates a different goals and different a different flow and different pacing and everything like that is different uh when it's when it's pre-recorded or when it's live there i think they just they there's very different core aspects to them I, you know i just did a bunch of podcasts in la and i had a great time <clears throat> doing them but it is such a different it's such a different experience to do a straight podcast that you know you're going to do post-production on or punch in and out of uh, with different elements. And if something doesn't work, you can pull it out and or you can just generally edit the podcast and clean them up for a variety of reasons. So just as as the host of the thing, it's very different to not have that as an option to to be able to take away things that didn't necessarily work in the moment or tighten things up. So just creates a different set of uh, expectations or whatever you want to call it demands on me as the host of the show. And as for me and John Worcester, when we do uh, the calls that we do, they have to, they have to succeed as, as a, in a live uh, real time form as, as well as for somebody to go back and listen to, on a podcast 
I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, what I respect uh, truly about the best show is that in comparison to, say, uh, for one of a better description, the West Coast uh, podcasts, it has a, a, in a way, a greater sense of independence. Sure, I could. I, I, w- I guess I would agree with that because it's it's just from a from a business standpoint or whatever you want to call it. It's not a part of a network. It's it's a standalone show. We we pretty much built the whole setup and the infrastructure so that the show could be done the way uh, I want it to be done, just in terms of the quality of it and the and the the content and all that stuff, not have it be anything that anybody could weigh in on because even though there was, there was 13 years of, of the best show on WFMU, if, if we were taking it to a, to a different network or, or station or whatever, people would feel like, okay, well we want to weigh in on, some aspect of what this is in terms of how it fits our network. But I really didn't want any of that. I felt that we had done the show long enough that whatever it is and what we had been doing is what I want to keep doing. And anything that changes, I want to be the one to determine those changes, not not a uh, like a program director or somebody working on the advertising side of things. So it really was important for it to be independent, especially in this next uh, wave of uh, of the show, this whatever you want to call it, the post WFMU era version of the show. So, yeah. And one thing you had asked, you had said was, the I guess, the relationship of podcasts and radio. And it's the, the best thing about podcasting, for me at least, is that it's pretty uh, democratic in terms of who can do it. It doesn't take a ton of equipment. Even to, and I think it just takes time as much as anything to make sure it sounds right from a, a technical standpoint. To make sure you're putting a quality podcast out in terms of the the tech stuff. That's not all equipment. It's just knowing how to maximize the equipment you've got. And there's people who do good sounding podcasts on just okay equipment. Because when I was starting, there was no place for me to do anything if I wasn't on a radio station with this. So it just to that people don't have to hope that they pass the 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 test or they to get on a on a, a radio station uh, schedule because there's only a finite amount of slots with that, and then that that means that people who are, are would do something completely valid would not have access to, to broadcasting. So that's not like that anymore. That people if you belong, you can you can kind of make your own thing and get your voice out there. That's my favorite part of it. I guess it bums me out when people take podcasting and just look at it as a means to just career success because they've seen other people strike it big with podcasting. And they're just doing it because they they would like to be successful at something, not because they have some desire to be involved in podcasting or broadcasting. It's so that that's the part that bums me out, and I hate when I can feel it coming off somebody. They're doing a podcast ultimately because they like a TV show, not because they like podcasting. It's interesting that you say that as well, because my background is uh, that for a long time I wanted to be a scriptwriter, 
Mm -hmm. But essentially, it culminated in me desperately trying to look for a new creative outlet and because I just wanted to create and be part of a creative community. And I felt that podcasting was a way of doing that, which hadn't been done before. Certainly in the UK, it's it's something that it, it is still, I feel, uh, a good few years behind in comparison to the US. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like at the moment, um, putting together the network, it's just trying to really build that group of people, uh, trying to get everyone to a kind of creative community. And something I noticed when I went to the Los Angeles Podcast Festival in 2013 and last year was how so many like-minded people come together over so many niche and selective podcasts. And I was wondering, what would you say from your experiences meeting people or fans who have have only known the show from its sort of latest phase? Have they they sort of come across as podcast fans or people who have just discovered the show – from digging into the archive on WFMU or it's, it's really, I I think it is much more podcast culture, uh, centric WFMU has and had its own audience of people who would kind of be caught up in the station and really just embracing it and, and, and just getting into the culture of WFMU. But Sometimes that could end up like a so well you know so many of these things can end up like a closed circle if 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 they're if they're too insular then it's really hard for people outside to understand it or get in on it and I think that's any club uh, so I, it's probably just a different club ultimately with podcasts and I do get a lot of people now who who find the show through me being on other podcasts. And I think that's awesome. I, I do like how people can figure out what they're um, interested in. Like they can find something that literally speaks to them. You don't have to kind of eat 80% of something you don't want to eat just to get the 20% of what you do want. People can find what they're actually interested in now. So I think that's, that's the best part of it. So I think it's, I, I like I guess if people are kicking around listening to other shows that they they find the best show one way or another. I like that. I I like the fact that uh, when the Simpsons episode with yourself and John comes to the UK, it gives me a, a good incentive to turn around and say, "Hey, well, you if you know if you haven't heard their show, mm-hmm. it'll sort of encourage them to to check it out." Because I think certainly in the UK, and I'd imagine even more so in the US, that a uh, Simpsons appearance is almost like a seal of approval. In, in a strange way. I was wondering, how, what was your experience of, of being on The Simpsons? It was great. It was uh, wildly flattering. We could not believe it was happening the entire time it was happening. And up until the night it aired, I still did not believe that I was going to actually make the cut. Me and John Worcester were going to not get replaced by someone else. I kept thinking Key and Peel were going to they were that we were just like some sort of temp track for them because they were busy and then they would find the time and then we would get erased so that they could play the characters we were playing. So, yeah, it was it was unbelievable. It was just in. The, well, it's 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 the thing. I know I've said it before. It's like you can't even say it's like a dream come true because I don't even know who 
would dream about that because it seemed like such an impossible thing to do a voice on the Simpsons. Like they, that's a, I, that's a club I never thought I'd be a part of. So yeah, I mean that would be a dumb dream to have because it, the odds of it happening are so remote. It'd be like dreaming to be president or something. It just I think it's a little easier to get on the Simpsons than to be president, but mm. but still, it's just it's not something that's available to everybody, is what I meant. So, yeah, it was it was just shocking. And I suppose um, with that in mind, with Simpsons, with um, certainly springs to my mind, Fernwood Tonight and SCTV. I, I mean, in t- I'm thinking of those in relation to Newbridge as building a fictional comedic community uh, building a, a whole world out at, from these characters and i was just wondering if you could elaborate on your comedic influences and how that played into john and yours evolution of newbridge it was n- nothing was ever conscious with it in terms of us um us modeling it on other things but we definitely have been influenced by the uh the things you mentioned, like uh, Springfield uh, on The Simpsons, and then um, SCTV had, had its own kind of community. They had a town called Mellonville. Stuff like that is definitely influential. And I think the the reason, or one of the reasons, we kind of came up with Newbridge was because it would it would kind of it could be a catch-all for for a place for all the characters to be from, rather than us trying to say this one is from this part of New Jersey or this is from that part of New Jersey. It became this liberating thing to just um, to just be able to have them be from this uh, this place that we could control and not have to not have to say they're from a town and then you get details of a town wrong and then people are kind of playing gotcha with it and. Um, trying to say oh that that doesn't happen in the town and you know you mention a town uh you know oh some town in new jersey and it's like oh they don't have a park by the highway just that kind of it, it kind of removes that from the from the mix too so um yeah it, it it was it was from a very practical standpoint but it helped in a creative way that we never could have um anticipated i don't i don't i didn't anticipate it that it could be so uh, so kind of liberating and kind of <laughs> like just let us do whatever we want and build an entire world. I think that there's a I also feel that because it's all audio as well, they, it, there's a greater sense of you can the imagination can run wild as 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 you're building it as well. And there are only certain realities. There are only certain comedy situations i can think of where it almost feels like any it just about almost feels like anything anything's possible like um father ted or springfield uh, the simpsons and newbridge being another example where there are certain things but it but there are rules as well i feel is is would that be fair to say that obviously certain things it wouldn't there wouldn't be deus ex machina but there, there'd be certain things that are just you can stretch you can stretch the reality slightly Oh yeah, or or stretch it, uh, not even slightly. You can stretch as much as you need to stretch it. We've had the dumbest things ever happen in the town. We've had uh, natural disasters, and there was one call that I forgot about. Um, 
until we were doing the box set of, of the Sharpling and Worcester stuff. Um, there was one where, where uh, John's character basically dropped, he hooked a town up to, uh, I think, like, blimps and then dropped one town on another town. And it's just like, that's... That is not that can't happen in the real world. So, but it just it 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 freed us up for just the dumbest, you know, the the any any kind of humor we wanted to do. There's a, there's a way to do it in that world. So it's very uh, liberating, ultimately. And you mentioned the box set, of course, as well. It's a gorgeous box set. Thank you. I uh, I, I have it here. I have uh, the bit of phone that came with it. The um broken wow. broken piece of phone so yeah. and um i just love the fact as well that you, you don't get that much attention to detail in in boxes i think the last time the last time i think i purchased something that was completely fictional and and by by extension everything around it was fictional was the um church of the subgenius pack mm-hmm. which which i just fascinated me and so that you know thirty dollars thirty dollars and and you know all your money or yeah i can't remember what the expression was but uh-huh. and, and and you get the you get the you get sort of the will and testament almost, and you get the the badge and the and the, and, and but I mean that was a by small example. I mean just not to um, downsize in any way because th- this box set is magnificent, and the even the fact that down to even the the cardboard, the the, I, the consolidated cardboard, oh, yeah, that it came in, and I actually I remember. Um, it was one of those ones because it's 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 big in size as well as uh, quantity. And I remember I walked down to the post office to pick it up. I, w- I just remember being very pleasantly surprised and relieved as well because I wasn't sure if it would arrive in one piece to the UK. Uh-huh. Yeah, and was uh, absolutely yeah swept away. And I just remember just lugging it uh, very proudly, excitedly back home. Yeah, at some point I, I keep saying at some point you guys will come to the UK, but. Uh, if if not, then I'd be happy to at least um, represent by by holding holding up the uh, the front of the set uh, in front of something distinctly London based or uh, or British um, holding in front of the uh, House of Parliament or something like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. You can get run over at Abbey Road uh, holding the box set. Yeah, I'll uh, just uh, be standing there, people waiting for me to cross the road, and I'll just stand still for a period of time and cars go fast there right people try to like actually people are sick of of the road being tied up with with goofballs taking pictures trying to pretend to be the beatles crossing the street yeah i I think people have just become intolerant of uh, beatlemania uh they've they've Mm. reached they've reached a turning point but i think also um now that the distraction from the beatles now is is um a whole lot of well, not that it ever left, but uh, a rediscovery of of uh, Bowie love mm-hmm. at the moment, and uh, you get a lot of people going to the telephone box that was in the background of Ziggy. Sure, yeah, uh, which is which is very easy to uh, to access to, of course. But then, and if people couldn't make it there, if there weren't enough, if there wasn't really a, a finite Abbey Road equivalent, they just build their own murals and just paint on the so, walls. Yeah, well, look. You can do that and other, but here we, people chose to pay respect at the place where, where he actually chose to live. It's fine that you have the, the phone booth that he went to yeah. 45 years ago. 
Yeah. He actually was here, but I'm sure he's important in England also. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, well, I mean, I I have my own personal connection. Uh, well, I say personal connection. My father uh, was friends with him at school. Uh, really? Yeah, uh, they they played in a band together. Um, at least this, this is what my father says. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But they they played in a band together. My father's uh, their their shared art teacher, who my father's still in contact with, is Peter Frampton's dad. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And um, wow. yeah, so it's I, I kind of grew up with that um, injected into me a little bit. And um, same with the Beatles. My father uh, is an illustrator, and he works with Peter Blake occasionally. Okay. Um, and it, they, yeah, uh, um, he was one of, my dad was, obviously uh, he lost out to Peter Blake, but uh, when they did the Beatles anthology, I remember a rather strained holiday with the family where he filled the bag, he was uh, commissioned to be one of the, I think, eight artists who uh, was asked to do the covers for the anthology, the three albums. And uh, obviously it didn't work out, but he spent that whole holiday in Spain uh, just painting Beatles. Um, <laughs> so we have a lot of uh, rejected Beatles paintings gathering dust somewhere. That's not too shabby in the, in the, in terms of stories, family stories. Those are pretty good. Peter Frampton, your father played with David Bowie and is still buddies with, uh, Peter Frampton's father. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wish they sort of for me they're only they're only stories, of course, because uh, it's all relayed through family. But uh, but yeah, you know, it's 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 all good. But anyway, enough of me. <laughs> so I rambled on. I apologize. Uh, no, I, I liked it. That was awesome. Well, uh, if if you're ever in need of a painting of the Beatles, um, uh-huh. I'm, I'm happy to send one over. Um, it says anthology on it. it but- I th- <laughs> yeah, it uh-huh. crossed out. Well, actually, my to be fair, my my dad does have did have that tendency when he found out after all the efforts, um, he took out the anthology uh, sleeve and took a photo of the picture, uh huh, and put it in where the sleeve is. Yeah, your own reality. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Your dad gets it. You're asking me all about building worlds. Your dad built a world where he did the cover of Anthology. All uh, oh, three volumes. I would, do, I would do the same thing. Absolutely. And, of course, the artwork and the, uh, I should say, also the uh, the attention to detail of the artwork in the uh, Best Show box set as well is, is great. It really it, it brings these characters that we've heard over the last six, 16 years or so to life, even more so. It's crazy how elaborate that packaging is. And I mean, that that took a, a year to put that thing together. And so many people worked on it. I still can't believe it is. It's, it's, it's great now because the part where you think of the work and that this part was frustrating and this and that and all that just ends up in the past. And then you're just left with the box set, which is what the reason you did it in the first place so it's it's nice that the the bad memories start to fade you're just left with the best part of it so were there any particular calls that you were reluctant to keep out sort of just space or for time 
Huh. I don't know if anything was a space issue. For people who don't know this box, this is a box that we did that puts together the best of the first 13 plus years of the best show in terms of the calls that John Worcester and I do together. So there were hundreds of calls. I don't even know how many hundreds, Um, but wasn't so much space because there were 16 CDs that we had uh, the the option of filling. It was more just really what was the funniest and making sure that there wasn't too much of one thing and not enough of another thing in terms of the types of calls and the types of comedy. And just really trying to do a representative thing. So I'm sure stuff lost out that would have made the cut otherwise if there was just too much of a certain character calling in. But on the whole, it's like there's still 20 hours of stuff in that box. And ultimately, we really did make sure that the funniest stuff made the cut. There was stuff we thought was the funniest that trumped everything. So even if there was too much of one thing, if it was the funniest version of a call or a character, that would have been in the box. So... If you were going to introduce someone who hadn't heard the best show before, and I suppose in in terms of episodes, it's potentially harder to say 7th of October 2005, for example. But uh, is there a particular episode or a particular call uh, that you would play them first to kind of get them into it? Everybody's got their own opinion on that. And that's why we've been doing for years, we've been doing this best show uh it was called Best Show Gems when it was on WFMU. Now it's Best Show Best. Mm. Just a show that we have. We have these because the because be, the show is once a week and it's three hours long. So we do these kind of greatest hits podcasts every every two weeks. It'll just have highlights of calls or or comedy or whatever that happened on the show. I think those are the best way in because uh, because it's just like just just sample one thing. And then um, see if that if then if, if if that makes you laugh, then there's more of something similar to that out there. And then you turn around and you realize you're trying to figure out how to listen to 15 years of of a show, and there's no coming back from it. I had someone who wanted me to inquire if the days of in studio appearances by John are over, or if he may appear in in-house in studio oh, yeah. again oh, absolutely that's it's just a matter of uh logistics i mean he's he's in north carolina and i'm in new jersey so he has to be up here for a tuesday and not be working so it does it, it hasn't happened yet it'll it'll happen it came we almost it almost happened one week and then something made it so it didn't happen and then but yeah, with, without a doubt, it's going to happen. And hopefully, that you'll you'll be able to make some space for him under the desk for when he can emerge. Yes, he can climb out and and uh, just start banging on stuff like he's because uh, that was what was that? He was a repairman then, a, an engineer or something. Is that what that was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Because we did that live in the studio where he was a uh, he was an engineer who. That I that the call started with him under the desk, and I didn't notice him down there. I think, yeah. We whenever he's whenever we're in the room together, we just try to have fun with the the 
filling the space physically of the two of us being together. So it's 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 nice that it becomes fun in a different way. And in terms of the scripted element of it, is there when you're together in the room or even even on the, even on the phone, is there room for improvisation or is it pretty strict to the script? No, we we can go pretty loose with the stuff. Even if it's a really tight script, as long as we're just kind of sticking to what has to happen for the premise to work, we can do whatever we want, really. We I, I we know each other well enough at this point that we can kind of go uh, off road and then get back on the back on the highway when it's time. And presumably when real callers call in and interact with John in character is do you ever have a or have a had a situation where you you get you get real callers calling in and they're trying to be part of Newbridge yeah you know it doesn't happen so much anymore because we really I I feel like we've we've kind of closed the door on callers uh interacting with John for the most part. Cause then you get somebody just going, this isn't real or, or they ask something that takes it off target or it just, it, it we are trying to do something so specific that it's better off. If it's just between the two of us ultimately. Um, yeah. I mean, we used to do it and then it, I think it just got a little, just made more of a mess than was, uh, then and there was I don't know what the upside was. So, and um, in terms of the real you and the the show you, which Tom do we hear in the Hollywood Handbook episodes? I think that's a different Tom entirely. I don't even know if that one. That's even not even the one from the show. I don't know. That one it seems like a just a like I'm flailing on that show a lot. <laughs> I don't pretend that you know so. That's I, I think that's a third Tom that now exists. Real life Tom, best show Tom, well fourth Tom within the world of Sharpling and Worcester Tom, and now Hollywood Handbook Tom, whose career is in a free fall. Those are there's four. So, and then fifth for Big Apple Bible. Yes, that would be the fifth. That's a, yeah, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it as four and a half then. That's a variant on Tom number four. It's four A. And then presumably as, as more, you know, if you make more and more appearances, uh, it, there may very well become a fifth and a sixth along the lines. We'll see. The uh, episode where it culminates, and I, bearing in mind I will be recommending people to check out these episodes as well before they before they tuck into our conversation, but don't do this to me. Um, I have oh, that, yeah. that, that had me uh, giggling inanely on my way oh, to work. Good. That was really stupid. It was, yeah, it was, it was very fun. And I, uh, in the, in terms of Hollywood handbook, did you, so were you a fan of the show beforehand or did they approach you and you hadn't heard it and you ran with it when you got there? You know, I was working with with Hayes on a TV show and then got to know him as a co-worker. And then he was like, I have a podcast, by the way. And I was like, really? Oh, that's charming. And then I 
listened to it, I was like, oh, this is actually funny. And then got super obsessed with it and then came on the show. And then I just keep inviting myself back on. So I think I think they might have had their fill of me on the show. I don't know. I haven't yet heard the live episode, but I'm I'm looking forward to hearing that hopefully this weekend if I get the chance. Yeah, that one was done um last week when I was in Los Angeles. So yeah. That was uh that was fun. Are there any particular podcasts that you listen to regularly? Um yeah, I listened. I listen to Hollywood Handbook, and I listen to um, the the main one I listen to lately is "You Must Remember This." is It's a it's kind of old Hollywood stories, mm. and um, it's hosted by Karina Longworth, who's a really talented writer and uh, kind of film critic. And she does such it's it's, it's great. She just goes so in depth with these. Hollywood stories from the from from they call it like the first hundred years of Hollywood, and it's really so interesting. And yeah, I, I just I just love it so much. There's a there's a uh, I think it's a twelve part series that she did. It was the, it was she's done certain ones that have been kind of more expansive, where it would be a part of a series kind of documenting a larger subject. The first one was about World War II and the celebrity system in, in, in relation to that. But the, the, there's one about Charles Manson and Hollywood and Los Angeles that is just one of the greatest things I've ever heard. Yeah. And just so interesting and so just amazing. I think I'm, I think I'm about six in now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I prefer listening to that uh, it's ten times over than attempting to get into the series Aquarius, for example, which I don't know if you... I mean, aside from the fact that's heavily fictional on top of everything else, but you must remember this and um, Hardcore History I'm, I'm very fond of as well. Okay. Which is uh, Dan Carlin, and you... I mean, they're quite heavy. I mean, they're about four hours a piece. Uh, wow. But it, it's like going to a very interesting lecture mm-hmm. by a teacher who can really build build it in your imagination, but still give you all the facts. It's, um, it's, it's worth checking out. I mean, in terms of Hollywood, I mean, yeah, the... I You must remember this, and there was another one that springs to mind. If I remember it, I'll, um, I'll, I'll tweet you it at some point. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I I do like the ones that are ingrained in in a sort of an audio history, an oral history. Mm. Uh, they're they're good fun, and yeah, and I mean that's that's using the strength of the form to to its greatest advantage, which is just you can put something out that's that's really well researched, and and the post production on it is is helps just take it to the next level, and it sounds great, and it's interesting, and you can make sure. It, it packs a real punch and stuff, but it's not sanitized or it's or or scrubbed of personal personality because it because the thing with with you must remember this is that Karina puts her it's clearly her her view of a lot of things and it's and it's in in relation to current 
living in 2016 and, and the way the world works. And that's, that's what makes that interesting too, is that it's, 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 it's kind of putting old things under a new, uh, microscope. That's what I think podcasting should aspire to more than just like a bunch of dudes sitting around a table, kind of cracking each other up. Oh, as, as funny as that is and, and can be, it's just like, if you feel like you want to do something more with it, you should do something more with it. It's just like, just don't settle for the basic entry point on what a podcast can be. It's like right now, podcasting can kind of be the idea of what it can be, can be redefined. It's still, it's still totally in flux. So that's, I completely agree. There's, I have, I, there's a number of ideas I desperately want to put out there, but it's just a, a matter of, um, I don't, it, they're ideas which I, I, in theory they could work really well, but it's not something I feel I can do on my own. And mm-hmm. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that through building the creative community that it will, as, as we go along, I'm meeting more and more like-minded people and hoping that we can collaborate on something bigger than all of our, all of our shows combined and do these sort of rather um, uh, potentially difficult ideas. I mean, just to give you an example, I wanted to do kind of a, a faux history where it's two people completely straight and they're, they're discussing wax cylinders that have been discovered uh, under some floorboards. Oh. Uh-huh. In a that have been discovered in like in a in a ghost town out it's somewhere in the desert in the Nevada desert and they try and piece together they play a couple of these each in each episode and then they sort of try and analyze them and it just it just has this and of course the the wax cylinders themselves are are created and the idea is, is that this was some kind of almost dictaphone style thing for uh, uh, that had been given to a, a Pinkerton agent who and it goes into this whole thing and. I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I just feel that there's so much more that can be played yeah, with. Absolutely, it's really like the the wild west in terms of what it is. The rules have not been laid down, and nobody is in control of this thing at all. So people can do what they want with it. The wild west is a thing that happened here in the 19th century. Yeah. When I'm kidding, I'm just. Yeah, well, I you know I've seen Deadwood, and um, you know what it is. You saw Deadwood. Yeah, um, Lemmy was in it, and uh, it, it all made sense. Great, another uh, one of your countrymen who just came here did not go back. Why is that? Why did they not go back? Did they I, like sunshine? Is it the sunshine that lures them in? That's that's why I keep coming back. Uh, in part, I I'm coming back uh, to Los Angeles in September for the Los Angeles Podcast Festival. Can you not believe that that's like the amount of sunshine that there is every day? I mean, I'm not, I'm not and I'm not even trying to be funny here. It's just like for somebody who lives in a place that has seasons, mm. and I'm speaking about myself now. It's like. I go there and I can't believe it stays that way all the time in Los Angeles. And I think we have more sunshine here than you do there. Mm -hmm. So I can only imagine, does your head explode when you see that much, the ridiculousness of that much sunshine? I don't even drive. So I, I get a lot of it when I go out there. I walk everywhere. 
when I'm out there. Uh, I tend to stay at the same place on Sunset Boulevard, kind of at the little Armenia end, no frills, and then uh, and and then kind of just walk up the strip and go to Amoeba Records and and walk yearningly walk past the Earwolf Studios, going one day, then then just I just I just want to go in there and see what. One day you'll get in through those doors. Well, just to see the setup, really. I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> just a nice sit there in the background. I I did uh, have the pleasure of sitting in on an episode of the Todd Glass Show. Um, oh, okay. And that was a different setup, and that was his own studio in a different part of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was interesting to see, and I'm finding that everyone seems to have their own setup as well, which goes back to the Wild West vibe. Everyone has their own modus operandi it's all everyone has a different way everyone has different equipment and as you say it's it, it, different styles which is always really interesting to see and yeah once again another place it like Sienega boulevard you know i just walked right down there that's strange that's it's a weird thing to do when it's that hot everywhere and uh, i did get lost i i actually felt that i was going to end up in the film nightcrawler at one point i, I there uh-huh. was uh-huh. Out of morbid curiosity, uh, I also went to the Museum of Death, which uh, is horrible, <laughs> but uh, unforgettable as well. For Los Angeles, I, I, what I quite like about it is I, I do like the implication of Hollywood glam, but I also like the fact that it's not really there either, if that makes sense. Sure. I mean, with Los Angeles, it's just like you you kind of can make your own version of what, what it is for you. Like, people... It's not just what you see in TV uh, on TV. It's you can construct your own version of what Los Angeles is when you live there and you just don't have to engage in any of that stuff. I talk to friends who never go on the to the to West Hollywood and it's like that's closer to the to the show busy stuff than like living in Silver Lake. But, yeah, they don't ever have to come within miles of that stuff and and the parts that gross people out about los angeles it's like if you live there you don't have to indulge in the things that look like they're gonna be gross from watching like tmz or or uh any sort of entertainment program it's like that stuff's not there if you don't it's not in your worldview if you choose to exclude it Whereas with New York, I mean, I haven't been there since 2002, but I'm going back there for the first time since then next month. And I find from memory, I, I found that, I don't know, maybe it's easier to get lost in because of the, because of the taller buildings. But I don't know, I think it's more centralized. It's more focused as a, as a city. It seems like you can go there and it can be the same place that you remember going to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's easy to get kind of lost in certain ways, but it's also it's it's a grid. You just just look for the numbers, see which way they're going. That's always your that'll always get you out of a hole. Yeah, I, I, and I'm going to New Jersey for the first time ever as well. When I'm out there, I'm going to why why. Yeah. Um, well, I uh, I got in touch with Joe at WFMU, and yeah, he he said um, I could come and have a look round. Oh, that's nice. That was really Joe's, nice. Yeah, that'll be great. You'll have a good time. It, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm I'm quite excited about that, and it's uh, 
I, and the thing is, is that I find it strange because when I talk to people about, I have, because there is a, there is an expanding community, certainly of America, fans of American comedy in the UK. And I think that's partially because we ingrain a lot of ourselves in the history, our sitcom history that we is just repeats, constant repeats, sometimes not just of the same show, but of the same episodes. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And it gets exhausting. And I think there's so much good American comedy that doesn't get shown over here. And so this community is now growing where they seek it out and they actively, for the most part, purchase them online through Amazon.com. And they go on things like Split Cider and AV Club and and these little gateways open. And please to say that, that it was through Best Show that I discovered SCTV and wow. through the references to it. And I was intrigued and I thought, well... If 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 you're making that recommendation and and uh, it's and you've cited it as an influence, then I thought I I must go and see what this is about. And uh, yeah, I mean the the Johnny Larue mm -hmm. parts, yeah. are my favorite. That's, yeah, yeah, it's like an all star lineup when you look at who was on that show and what they all went on to do. It's like they're just it, it, it's amazing that that's that that's the cast of that show. It's all great people. What are other things that gain no traction in the UK until the the comedy community or whatever helping expose it? Yeah. So aside from the the group of people that are actively seeking these things out, uh, Nathan for you. Mm hmm. Sure. John Benjamin has a van. Mm hmm. I think the I think that might have helped the fact that Archer has become more of a thing over here, and I think people are. And Bob's Burgers. So I think because they kind of came over here, um, people then actively seeked out the, the things that had been shown less so. More or less anything on Adult Swim, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So like TCM is is a big deal, I'd say certainly more so in America. In in the UK, it's now got to a, it got to a point where at midnight for an hour, they'd show maybe three random Adult Swim show episodes huh. on a Sunday night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And it, it was sort of like just the, a very odd shift. And we, we've always had a strange history. Before Sky and Cable became the thing over here, at the time, one of our four terrestrial channels that we had in the 90s would show Seinfeld and the Larry Sanders show back-to-back -back sort of after midnight on BBC Two. Completely missed opportunities. But, I mean, thankfully, there were enough people who would sort of come back late from a night out and they would sit there and... I think that's that's where that emerged from. And and the kids in the hall was shown late on Channel 4 in the early 90s. And so it was a I think Kevin Mc, I think it was yeah, Kevin McDonald who ended up coming to do improv above a bar near London Bridge the year before last and we had the pleasure of just seeing him and you know 5 pounds entry and we went and said hi and said hey, you, we grew up with you guys, you know. So That's fantastic. Is that where Ricky Gervais would have seen Larry Sanders? I, watching that i suspect so yeah it was there, there's a clip somewhere and i don't know if it's online but of the british comedy awards which was always a bit of a to this day is always a little bit of a, a joke in itself to a lot of people i think there's a lot of uh, favoritism and also it's there's a lot of exhausted elements to it as well there's it's sort of overdone and it's not really it's not the award shows generally aren't particularly fulsome but yeah there was a time when they would have i believe at one one year in the mid 90s 
uh, Jeffrey Tambor came on as Hank. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, you could tell that oh, yeah, all the audience, of course, just got in, started shouting, hey now, hey now. Uh, yeah. And then I think he introduced, I can't remember if Gary Shandling was in character or not, but I remember then he introduced a clip of Gary Shandling uh, on set somewhere and uh, accepting an international award speech. And remember it being very funny, but I, I, yeah, it's it it's hard. I mean, Get a Life has never been shown over here, to my knowledge. Um, sure. And I'm so glad that that DVD came out because all I had to rely on were YouTube clips, essentially. Um, yeah, it's funny how that stuff just uh, it doesn't find its audience, but then it finds its audience. Like it's it's funny how it, both sides of it work out one way or another. It's like. It it hits a wall, and then the people find it when they find it, and then it gets appreciated the way it was supposed to be appreciated the whole time. It's very interesting. I've been enjoying being able to seek out what, like when I've read interviews with comedians and 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 yourself as well, in, included as well in terms of films. You make recommend recommendations that I've never heard of, and it's like right, something else I can go and check out and, and investigate. And um, Clifford is on my list. I haven't seen it yet. But it's it's on my list. Uh, well, get ready. You will never go be able to remember what it's like before when you hadn't seen Clifford. As many years as you've lived, you'll just look at your life as pre-Clifford and post-Clifford. And I understand that you you own the suit that's worn in it. Is that right? One of the suits, yes. I bought it off of eBay, and I brought it when I met Martin Short. I brought the suit. And then he verified. He was like, yep, that's the suit. That's definitely it. So it's one of those things that just you don't forget. And it's what makes everything worth it. Were you a fan of 80s Letterman as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It just um, getting to watch that stuff as it happened was, I mean, I was a kid and I would just stay up. I had a TV in my bedroom. I, I watched the first Letterman when it happened. And um, you just felt like there was nothing else like it on television. And, I mean, that's where Chris Elliott got his start, was on that that 80s Letterman. And it's also where a bunch of people, I mean, Adam Resnick, who's been on the best show a few times, he wrote with Chris at uh, Letterman, and then they went off and created Get a Life together. But that relationship started at Letterman, and that dynamic, that voice that's where that that whole thing started. Adam's one of the all-time funniest people. He he has a book out that I that I everybody who reads it can't believe how funny it is. It's called Will Not Attend and it's like literally the funniest book you've ever read. Consider it on my Amazon list the moment I I take off in a while. I mean, I'm just like I can just everybody I've talked it's just anybody who reads it, everybody just ends up quoting stuff back to each other about just how funny and the stories and the the voice he t- I, the voice he tells them with is just yeah he's he's uh he's at the top of the list for me so getting to getting to know him because of this show and getting to actually like uh, watching get a life and then getting to like be friends with the guy who created or co-created get a life and then be real. It's, it's, yeah, that, I mean, that stuff, it's very easy to get caught up in the 
the the frustrating parts of things. But that that part is something I can't I can't ever I can't forget that because that's what makes all of it worth it. Yeah. With that in mind, would Cabin Boy make a good with a double bill with Clifford? Yeah, it came out around the same time, early '90s. Yeah, that would be that's a good that's a great double bill. Absolutely. I, something I should definitely send you a link to, assuming it hasn't been taken down again. I know that uh, when Letterman was reigning, he it used to just disappear. But I think it's been on there as long as it's ever been on YouTube of his early 80s HBO special. Um, yeah, I remember that. What was it? Looking for fun. Yeah, I remember. I, I, I know I saw it along when it when it came out. Again, I was a kid, and I was just watching all these things. I, I would love to see that again. I, I remember just thinking everything he did was the funniest. Is there a possibility of uh, of uh, you coming over to the UK at some point? I don't know. I, I think that we'd have to figure... I think we're a ways away from that happening. I, I'm not sure. I'd be up for figuring stuff out, but I just don't see it it happening right anytime soon it feels like there's other things that are on the front burner before that yeah i just don't know if the people are there i really are they i believe so i would say i mean i would say maybe put a poll get a poll get a poll going uh, but i mean i i i know a fair number of people who are who are big fans of um of the best show and yeah, I mean it's through comedy forums as well, and you know, which which you can you can get a mix of opinions, of course. But for the the fact that the fact that it's been in discussion means that more people are discovering it. I'm game for anything, but I just I just don't want to go over and do, do John and I are doing a show in front of six people. It'll make me cry. Maybe maybe come and do a a, a recce, a sort of a, a recon mission prior to performing. Maybe come and uh, yeah, just come and check it out, and see see what the vibe is, and and you know, I'd be happy right. to sh- happy to show you guys around. Okay, that's fair. A recce. I think I think that's what they call it. A, a recce. Yeah. You sound so militaristic. It'd be undercover initially, of course, but uh, you know then. Yes. A huge thank you to Tom for joining me on this episode of PodPit. Before we went our separate ways, however, Tom gave some excellent advice for all budding podcasters out there. Everybody wants a sense of community with these things. And it's it's nice that now, even if the people aren't logistically, geographically near you, they can still be a part of your world and be anywhere on the planet. It's also good that you're getting out there and actually you're going to Los Angeles and you're going to New York and you're actually meeting the people face to face, which I think is an important element of it to not just have it be all virtual. You're, you're getting out and about IRL. I guess there's just a point where people only have a certain amount of hours in the day and they just want to make sure that that somebody who doesn't know what they're doing at all. They want to they want to be available to people, but they want to also make sure they're being smart about it. So, that's the way to make people pull back from a thing is if they feel like, "Oh, if I do these things, my time's being wasted." So, they just want to make sure you were legit. That's what they do for a living. Field requests. Good luck with all the stuff. It's very exciting. I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. 
go to thebestshow.net and listen to new episodes of The Best Show every Tuesday between 9 p.m. and midnight Eastern Time and download the archive by subscribing to the show via iTunes as well as tucking into the WFMU archives via wfmu.org forward slash playlists forward slash BS. You can follow Tom on Twitter via at Sharpling and The Best Show via at Best Show for Life number four and you should also check out tom's excellent appearances on episodes of hollywood handbook via www.earwolf.com forward slash show forward slash hollywood dash handbook if you want to dive straight into the world of the best show Go to www.numerogroup.com and purchase the magnificent box set The Best of the Best Show by Sharpling and Worcester. As the site says, Culled from the vaults of WFMU, the world's most acclaimed free-form radio station, comes more than 20 hours of mind-bending, hilarious phone calls between the renowned comedy duo of Tom Sharpling and John Worcester. From 2000 to 2013, their tremendous imaginations took over the WFMU airwaves every Tuesday night with bizarre tales from a fictional town called Newbridge, New Jersey, and the desperate denizens that inhabit it. Trust me when I say, it is without doubt one of the best box sets you'll ever see. Only the best for the best show. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, George Grimwood, and we'll see you again next time on another episode of PodPit, the podcast about podcasts. Bye for now. You've been listening to an episode of PodPit, the podcast about podcasts, hosted and produced by George Grimwood, edited by Martin Fenton. PodPit is part of the Podnose Podcast Network. You can visit us online at www.podnose.com and you can get in touch via admin at podnose.com. Something just played on my computer. Sorry. That's right. You know how you ever have those things, they just decide to play a video at some point?